When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So, Joe Biden says that his proposal to support a $6 trillion budget is really just aimed at corporations and high earners. So today uh, we're going to discover whether that's true or not and who it really hits and get into some of the details. I'm really privileged to have a very special guest, Kyle Pomerleau on our uh, show today, who's an expert in drilling down into not just the tax provisions, but the tax policy behind the provisions. And this is perhaps uh, in, in my mind, and I'll get, uh, Kyle, I'll get your thoughts on this, but it's, I think the biggest single tax policy shift, if it were to pass, uh, probably since 1913, um, just because the, uh, the, the in incredible shift in policy, uh, really from um, benefiting small business and, uh, and, and investors to benefiting big business. I actually think this is a big, play um, for big business, but that's my own thought. But to, uh, let's start with Kyle Parmelo, who is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, was previously uh, chief economist and vice president of economic analysis at the Tax Foundation. He did macroeconomic and tax modeling. So I'm just fascinated to have some, an expert like you, Kyle, on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. So what are you doing at uh, AEI? Well, right now I'm following uh, the tax debate as it unfolds. So very recently, Biden, the Biden administration just released uh, what's called the Green Book. It's the Treasury's detailed overview of the administration's tax and budget proposals that they're going to be putting that they're going to be putting in front of Congress. Um, so what that means is looking at how these proposals are going to impact federal revenue, how they're going to impact different taxpayers, really dr drilling into the details of some of the, the complex provisions and how they're going to impact uh, taxpayer behavior. Well, awesome. Well, we'll get into that. We'll go. We'll we'll try to keep it simple um, for our listeners. So make sure they understand it. You and I could have a, a a detailed discussion and do tax talk for probably a couple of days, um, but our listeners probably can maybe manage twenty to thirty minutes here of tax talk. So, um, and I really want to focus on uh, just a few of the key provisions that particularly affect uh, small business and investors. Um, I, I, you know, we know that there's you know, these proposals to extend the child tax credit and, and a lot of um, uh, entitlement programs, really, uh, this bill is full of entitlement uh, extensions, which is really interesting after there's been so much discussion over the last two decades about reducing entitlements. And all, for the first time, I think we have this major idea of a major increase in entitlements. But 
let's set that aside. Let's talk about the tax pieces of this and a couple of the major tax pieces. Uh, let's begin with a big global piece, which is this uh, corporate minimum tax worldwide. Um, first question I have for you is, and, and just, just to um, recap for everybody, the idea is that there are some countries that charge a much lower tax, some zero, uh, some like Ireland uh, in the 12% range. And so the idea is, well, we don't want if we're going to increase the taxes on corporations in the US, we don't want the corporations just moving overseas, which is, by the way, what they did prior to 2017 Act, um, which was the intent to bring them back. So uh, rather than rather than we may be pushing overseas, but if they can't go overseas and get a lower tax, then presumably they're going to stay here. Is it, have I got that right, Kyle? Is that kind of the idea behind this? Yeah, a, a big part of Biden's tax proposals is a large tax increase on U.S. multinational corporations. So he's proposed raising the statutory tax rate from 21% to 28%, and then raising the tax burden on the foreign profits of U.S. multinational corporations. So what he wants to do just very generally is when a U.S. multinational corporation earns income overseas, he wants to bump up the minimum tax that the U.S. would place on that income to 21%. Um, and he would do other types of reforms that would broaden the base of that tax as well, so more profits would be taxed. Now, you're right, there's a big trade-off here. Now, they want what they want to do is reduce the incentive companies have to shift profits into low-tax jurisdictions. But the trade-off is you'd also encourage companies to shift to their headquarters out of the United States, because this minimum tax would only apply to companies if they're located in the United States. Right. So another component of this tax reform is to go to international organizations, go to other countries and negotiate what they're considering a minimum tax throughout the world. So what they want for other countries to do, and this is consistent with what a lot of the OECD proposals have been, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development over the last couple of years, they've been working on what's been called pillar one and pillar two. And I don't have to get into the details of that, but it's roughly just two general proposals to reform the way that countries tax their multinational corporations. And one of those pillars is a proposal for other countries to enact minimum taxes like what Biden wants to propose. So to uh, subject foreign profits to a minimum rate of taxation. And this deal that was just announced is, I'd say, a baby step towards getting an agreement amongst G7 countries to enact these minimum taxes on foreign profits. Now, I'm not super optimistic that they're gonna get very far just yet. It's very complicated, but the first step they've, they've announced is they've, they've agreed that 15% is the minimum tax rate. Now, the United States has already proposed higher than that, 21%. So it's all, you're already looking at the US kind of negotiating and not really able to get other countries to get the rate as high as they may want it to be. Um, but that, but yeah, this G7 deal was, is part of this push to get, kind of encourage other countries to bring the minimum tax rate up to kind of push back against these incentives that tax havens uh, create. 
Right, or or actually the disincentives that the non-tax haven, high high tax countries create for the tax havens, right? So there's this constant push. There's this this fight between the countries that say, well, we're willing to do a lower tax to encourage the economic development, versus the we we've got economic development already, so we want more taxes out of the companies that are already there. Yeah. All right, um, it's you know some of it's kind of mystifying to me that realizing that, boy companies can move. And at least what the government's saying is we, we do realize that tax incentives do have an impact on uh, corporate behavior. So here's my only question on this one. Who pays this tax? Is this, do, do corporations and their executives pay this tax or will this, will this uh, uh, funnel down to the average person in America? Yeah, you see in the media all the time, the shorthand here is that corporations are going to face the tax increase or multinationals are going to face the tax increase. But economists always like to try to track it down to who is actually bearing the burden of the tax. And in the case, it's always people, whether it's shareholders of those corporations, the workers of those corporations, sometimes the consumers that buy products from those corporations. Um, so those are, that's who's ultimately going to bear the burden. Now, it's, it's, it's complicated. I mean, where the countries are proposing to raise taxes on the foreign profits of, of U.S. multinationals. And, you know, that in some, in some ways, that's a, that's a kind of a sympathetic target for a tax increase because it's the U.S. raising taxes on factories that are in Poland or Germany, not in the United States. Um, but it's still eventually going to impact Americans to some degree. I mean, if, I, if I'm a shareholder in a corporation that's doing business in Poland, I get returns from that, that factory that's over there, and I'm, I would be impacted by the higher tax burden at the end of the day. And, and just uh, for our listeners, uh, how much of Fortune, uh, Fortune 500, for example, stock, how much stock is owned um, in the public markets by pension plans and profit sharing plans? So it's it's a large it's a large portion. So uh, there's been recent research on who owns the stock of U.S. multinational corporations, and I think if you if you think about it in three three groups, taxable shareholders, so those that own uh, own shares outside of a 401k or IRA or a pension fund, foreigners, so foreign individuals that own shares, and then um, pension funds and the smallest group is actually taxable U.S. shareholders. It's about 25%. Okay. And then I think it's around 40% are foreign shareholders. And that the rest of that is in pension funds and tax-free accounts. So okay. if you're... So a good, you're talking about yes. 35% or yep. uh, roughly a third yep. of all of that money is in your pension plan or your 401k plan. And I think that's something that you know, there's all this talk about, well, corporations, when they think corporations, they think Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, right? Whereas really most of that is is not Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk. Most of it is in your pension plan or your 401k plan. So let's shift a little bit to some of these proposals that are in this green book. And as, as uh, Kyle explained, the green book, and I'm sure Kyle's been through it many times and I've been through it many times, and it's basically, just, and it's actually a fairly um, simple document. It was only a hundred pages or so um, that explains what these 
proposals are. There are a couple of proposals, you know, some of the proposals in there we're, we're expecting. There's a lot of the international stuffs in there. Um, we also see proposals to extend the child tax credit, the dependence care credit. You know, some of these things are in there, of course. That's where a lot of the money's going. And then there's huge credits for uh, renewable energy, which um, we, that's a whole separate topic. I, I can spend a whole show on that one, um, probably will, because I think there's a huge opportunity there um, from a tax standpoint. But let's talk about, there's, there's really a couple of proposals that I think are so important to the average investor business owner. And let's start with a little one, which is the social security tax on pass-through entities. So can you just kind of walk us through what that proposal says and what really what's the consequence going to be to uh, the average, uh, to the really the average small business? Yeah, so this is a proposal that's been around for a few years. So it, it kind of, it wasn't going anywhere under the Trump administration, but the Obama administration had put forth this proposal. And what this proposal is seeking to do very generally is subject more business income to either the Medicare payroll tax, Social Security payroll tax, or the net investment income tax. If you're not familiar, the net investment income tax was passed as part of the Affordable Care Act. It's a 3.8% tax on certain investment income and business income of passive, uh, passive business owners of 3.8%. And it's supposed to match up roughly speaking, with the Medicare payroll tax plus the additional Medicare tax. And if I understand, Kyle, this money is all supposed to go to Medicare, right? This is all supposed to go and fund M Medicare. Now, the proposal, what it's meant to do is under, under current law, there's certain business income from partnerships or S-corporations that are not subject to the Medicare payroll tax or the net investment income tax. So from the perspective of the Biden administration, there's a, there's a, there's a tax gap between certain types of income. And what this proposal is aiming to do is cl close that gap in their perspective and subject some of the S this S corporation income partnership income to either the Medicare payroll taxes or the net investment income. So, so, so let me ask you this. Okay. So basically what we're saying is um, right now as corporation, you, you most small businesses are formed as S corporations, uh, a few as limited partnerships. And we don't really need to get into the details of the limited partnership aspect of this, but let's take the S corporation, which is kind of the heart of the American small business. Okay. So right now, if you earn income, that income is subject to income tax, but it's not subject to social security tax um, unless you pay that as a salary, mm -hmm. right? So this would subject it to subject that to this Medicare tax, okay? Which then opens the door, of course, to down the road, subjecting it to whatever the limits are on social security tax, um, which is probably to me a lot bigger deal. And I think that's maybe the next ball to drop, but let's say it's just a 3.8%, okay? So Kyle, would this apply whether or not I distribute the income? Because of course that income is taxed to me income tax wise, even if I leave it in the company because I need it, let's say to grow the business next year. Unlike a, a corporation, now a, a, a big corporation, a C corporation, that is not subject to that net investment income tax unless it's distributed, Yep. right? Yeah, that, that's right. But yeah, in this case, as I read this law, 
the income would be subject to the net investment net, net investment income tax, effectively the Medicare tax, whether or not it's distributive. I, am I reading it the right way? That's right. There, I, I, I'm reading that proposal that way as well. That they are that you know, a big distinction between traditional C corporations and S corporations partnerships is the ability to to defer um, that second layer of tax and defer the net investment income tax um, when the prof, uh, until profits are distributed. As corporations partnerships don't get the, the benefit of deferral um, and that's not gonna change here. So when the, the income is earned, it's also taxed in that year and it will be subject to tax under the net investment income tax and the, Medi the Medicare tax. Do you ever think they might, cooler heads might prevail and they might actually just subject distributions? The net investment income, or are they stuck on income? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I, I, don't think, I don't think that there's a proposal out there to change um, the timing of tax for pass-through businesses or partnerships as corporations. I think um, you, it's, you know, if you're going to want to uh, reinvest the money, um, the company is going to have to pay out a little bit of money to you to, in order for you to pay, pay the tax um, each year. Hey, if you like financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. Now let's go to the big one, which is the capital gains. Um, I think this is the biggest proposal in here, I think it's the most egregious and it covers all the way from estate tax to gift tax to basically unrealized capital gains. I'm not talking about the carried interest. That's a, I actually do have, let me make sure I come back to that because I have one technical question for you on that. But on this capital gains tax, so as I understand this, the way it's written, if I took my business and I put it into a, an S corporation, it's not subject to tax. That's a, that 351, that, that regular transaction, non-taxable transaction I put into a corporation, not subject to tax. On the other hand, if I took the same business and I just put it into a partnership, I'd be subject to taxes if I sold the business. Am I reading that the, the way you're reading it? Yeah, so th this, is, this was a question that I got from someone else as well. And I believe that that's how how another tax lawyer interpreted this, um, and that that would be a that would be a major a major change. Um, I, I haven't I haven't thought this issue through um, too much, but um, you are not the first one to uh, interpret and read it that way. So 
why would they do that? I, I mean, the reality is, is, you know, this is, for those of you who don't know, this section 721 of the code, which is my specialty area, um, technically is partnerships. It's been around as long as the corporate, uh, you know, you put money into, a, you put something into a partnership, that's a non-taxable transaction. Why would they do that? What, what's behind this? Because it seems so anti-small business. Um, what, what are they trying to get at here? It's potentially uh, an anti-tax avoidance uh, measure, but I, I'm not sure. I, ha I haven't, they didn't, they did not have, and your question implies this, they did not have a robust discussion of the purpose of, of right. this, of this change. Uh, so let me ask you a, a, a related question. Let's say that I form my company and it's in a limited liability company and it's a disregarded entity. Okay, so right now I'm on a Schedule C, right? Disregard any. And then somebody comes in and they put money in in exchange for an interest in that business. It sounds to me like this would actually create a tax to me because they put money into the business because now it's treated as a partnership instead of a disregarded entity. So, I mean, to me, when I look at something like this, I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. You're telling me that if I raise money from an investor, I'm going to be taxes if I sold the business. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I, I, don't, I don't know if they intend to do that or not. Um, I mean, my, anyone following this, my advice is to really pay close attention to what Congress is thinking, um, because this, of course, is just... I mean, the green book is meant to be very detailed, um, but it's not, not all the details are there. I mean, I could talk for at length about the well, missing course. details and the international provisions. Um, this may be another area where, you know, I don't know if they intended to do that or not, but ultimately Congress is the one that decides and this sure. may or may not occur. So let me ask you another question. So part of this is the gifting provision, right? So the idea is that if you gift so that you can't get away from this, the capital gains on death by gifting, that if you make this gift, then that gift is subject to not gift tax, but income tax yep. on capital gains, right? So as, as you read the green book, how would this apply? So we've got this million dollar limit. Is this a million dollar lifetime? Because uh, I, I couldn't, follow that in the green book, frankly, Kyle, is this a, is a, it would seem to me, it would have to be a lifetime limit that uh, once you got over that million dollars, everything over that would be taxable. Is that the way you read that? It has nothing to do with the level of your income. It's not like the capital gains tax over a million dollars of, of income. This is rather a capital gains tax based on, I think a lifetime giving over a million dollars. Yeah, so this, this provision, is somewhat confusing, or the, I mean, frankly, a lot of the Biden proposal is someone is confusing because they use many different thresholds that use many different definitions of income. So just for maybe some context here, and their, their capital gains proposal has two general changes. The first change is that capital gains realize the long, the treatment of long-term capital gains will change for any for anyone with taxable income over a million dollars. So that, that income would be taxed at the, the top ordinary tax rate, whatever that ends up being under Biden's proposal. He's proposing 39.6 
plus the net investment income tax, but we don't know what Congress is going to do. And that's, a, that's taxable income, million dollar plus. Then there's a second provision, which is the um, taxation at death of unrealized gains. And that is a different threshold. And I think you're right that that's more based on the lifetime limit rather than any threshold of taxable income or adjusted gross income. And I think it has to be that way. Some other, other details here too, is that, that the, the taxation of death will also have exemptions, not well specified yet, but exemptions for primary residences, that will, that will remain in there. And they also will have an exemption for um, certain businesses. So if I think um, their intention, and I don't know, they'd have to work out the details, is that if the stock is passed to say a, a family member and that family member continues to actively run the business, there would be an exemption there too. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. This is, like you said, as Congress, is discussing this more. Some members are becoming uncomfortable with it. Um, and I mean, it's too bad for Biden because this is where he gets a lot of his revenue. And we don't know if this is actually going to happen at all. Um, there are some Democratic lawmakers that are that state that this may be too much of a tax increase for them. Right. So one of the things that I think is important to note, though, is that while the capital gains increase, the, the income tax on selling um, an investment that is basically retroactive to April, right? Yes. Yes. The other proposals don't come into play until next year. So yes. what that means is, is that we have a window right now where we ought to be doing some planning. If you want to do some planning, you got a window between now and December 31st, presumably, assuming that they hold to that timeline um, to get ready. And, and what I always suggest is, get all the planning done. You don't have to sign it until December 31st, but you'd better get the planning ready ahead of time because you do. we, we do have this window, which is a, actually a nice window to, to know that you've got um, seven months uh, to prepare for this. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the administration did have um, two dates built into this. And yeah, there is, there is a window, a prospective window for the taxation of death provision but the, the window for the um, tax on realizations at ordinary income tax rates, that's effectively closed. And they, they meant to put that retroactive to April 28th as an anti-avoidance measure. Now, we don't know if that's the actual date um, because, again, Congress decides. Um, but it's worth paying attention to that at least the administration um, is really paying attention to the, the effective date provisions as, as a means to kind of avoid too many people planning around this because they, they do actually want to raise revenue from it. Well, but apparently they don't want to raise revenue this year. They want to raise revenue down the road because historically the best way to raise revenue in the current year is to actually give people time because then they all sell their stock and they get everything sold so that they get this whole huge cash influx in the current year, at, uh, obviously at the cost of the longer term yeah. right, in, rate increase. But let me come back to the carried interest if I can, and, and oh, yeah. we're going to have to wrap up. I wish we could go on for another hour, um, Kyle. This has been great. Thank you so much. Okay, so carried interest right now, we have this three-year rule. And basically says that if you have certain carried interests, which is basically somebody puts in services in exchange for the appreciation on the investment. 
Uh, and that appreciation on the investment historically has been taxed at long-term capital gains rates, but that under this new, uh, under this three-year rule, now you have to hold it for three years. One of the things that was really interesting in the, because this came in 2017 in the, the Trump Tax Act, one of the things that was very interesting is, is that they very much um, specifically left out real estate investment in the 2017 law, and the IRS confirmed that in their in in their rulings and their regulations. So my question to you is: Do you think that they will maintain that exemption? A lot of our listeners are real estate investors. They're very interested in this. They're they're syndicators. Um, they're you know they raise capital all the time, and most of their money is made on the carried interest. So do you think that they will continue that exemption, or you think they'll bring real estate back in? It, not sure. So if we look back to the Biden campaign proposal, they did suggest that they would go after unspecified real what they would call real estate tax breaks. We didn't really know what those were, whether those were accelerated depreciation for real estate investments or carried interest. We didn't really know. Now, that at least suggests to me that it's that's in the back of the mind of the administration. But we haven't seen yet what Congress thinks about what they do with that provision. So right right now we're kind of in a in a, a middle ground where we kind of know what they want the rates to be and some of these thresholds, but we don't really know what they want to do with the base um, with respect to real estate. But that is something to to keep an eye out for um, in the next couple months. No, absolutely. All right. So let me ask you one final question, Kyle. Uh, Biden has maintained from day one of his campaign that this none of his proposals would have a negative impact on anybody making less than 400,000. Do you agree that that would be the consequence of these current proposals? There are a couple problems with that that threshold. So first, it leads to very complicated tax policy. We we're just talking about the carried interest provision. So it's one thing to get rid of the carried interest provision altogether, but what they're doing is getting rid of it with an income threshold, which adds additional complications to a provision. So that's problem number one. Problem number two is that the Biden administration has kind of arbitrarily enforced this, uh, this limitation. So clearly the $400,000 uh, threshold that they're working with doesn't apply the, to the corporate tax, because right. if it did apply to the corporate tax, they'd already been violating it because the corporate tax eventually does fall on people earning less than $400,000, whether you're a retiree that owns stock and gets, you, you are, you live on, you know, interest in dividends and make only $40,000 a year or the worker of that corporation. Um, but the Biden administration has said it doesn't apply to the corporate tax. So that's, that's their way out of it there. Um, now, the individual provisions, um, there may be some small places in which people earning less than $400,000 could be impacted by, by the provision, uh, by any of these provisions. I, we talked the capital gains provision, for example, taxation at death, who, who is ultimately going to bear the burden of that that tax increase well the person who passed away isn't because they're not alive right you can't bear the burden of a tax if you're not alive anymore if you're passing on that asset 
you could be passing it on to someone whose annual income is below the threshold now. So it is pot, it, there is potential for mismatches. Well, on top of that, Kyle, I mean, consider that you could have a business that makes $300,000 a year that when you sell it, you sell it for more than a million dollars. So, so, you know, that's a tax to me, that's a tax on somebody making $300,000 a year. And the reason it is because it's really no different for a business owner. Um, if you have this tax uh, this high capital gains tax when you sell your business, it's no different than if you took your 401k and the day you retired, you were taxed as if that entire amount was distributed. It's exactly the same consequence. And yet that's never going to happen. Right? Yeah. That's clearly never going to happen. So you really are, it seems to me, taxing those higher. The other question I have is, is, is this 400000 per person or 400,000 per couple. Because even if you look just at the increase in the rate, the 39.6%, he's talking about couples making more than $510,000 roughly. Okay, well, that's that's only 250,000 a piece or $255,000 a piece. So that's way less than uh, 400,000. So how do you reconcile all that? Yeah, it's it's somewhat arbitrary, right? I, I mean, it's it, at the end of the day, it's mostly political. He's really trying to signal that, you know, not a lot of people are going to face this tax increase. And roughly speaking, most of them are going to be very high income. Because, right, it, it is just not possible to design a tax plan that holds harmless every single solitary person that may be earning less than $400,000 a year. Got it. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, really appreciate it. AEI.org, is that right? AEI.org um, is where you can find my work. Great. Well, so I um, very much appreciate it, Kyle. Um, as this stuff uh, keeps developing, can we get you back to talk about the actual legislation? Absolutely. I'd be happy to uh, continue the conversation. That'd be awesome. So thank you very much. So here's the real you know, takeaways today. We need to be, A, as Kyle says, following the legislation. Let's follow what's going on. Second of all, we can always write our congressman if we don't like, right, our congressperson, if, if we don't like what's going on. Uh, remember, um, there's, a, there's a very slim majority in both the House and the Senate. So they are paying attention to their constituents right now. I think that's very clear um, that they are getting nervous because they're constituents. So if you want to make them more nervous, then send them a letter. And the third thing is, of course, is that we have a window of opportunity for planning. So we can't wait to plan until we know what the answer is. We have to plan based on what we think the answer might be, spend a little money for the planning, knowing that we don't have to sign um, that final plan until December 31st. So I, I think with that, I think we've got a, a, some flexibility going on here because what happens is, is we do all those three things, we're gonna always make way more money and pay way less tax. See you next time. Thanks. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.